Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for this time where your word is going to be going forth. It is our prayer, Lord, that you would protect us as your word is going forth this morning. Help us to be sober and alert to what your word is saying to us this day. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. A missionary in Africa says that there are three beasts that lie in wait for their prey. The lion, the leopard, and the hyena. The hyena does not devour, but attacks only the vital organs and quickly leaves after eating a few meager mouthfuls. The leopard, too, does not eat its prey, but desires only its blood. The lion, however, completely devours its helpless victim, leaving not a single portion. What a perfect picture of Satan, the destroyer of souls. The author of 1 Peter uh, rest of recognized that because he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy, devour, drown. When we look at our world today, it seems that the enemy is very successful in what he's trying to accomplish. In the midst of the crisis and when we watch the news, we see the things that are going on with the division and the, 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 the vitriol language that we use towards one another. We hurl at one another. We don't want to listen to others and we want to be heard, but we don't want to listen. And in the words that we do speak, aren't really edifying. It's used to destroy and put down other people, and now is not the time to do that. This, of course, is all the work of an enemy who is seeking to destroy us subtly, but ever so true. As we come to our passage this morning, we look at a man named Haman in our continuing study on the book of Esther, we look at the man named Haman whose purpose is to destroy Mordecai. That's his purpose. This section of Scripture, which is Esther chapter 5, verse 9, all the way to the end of chapter 16, is all about Haman's plot to destroy this man, Mordecai. That's what he wants to do. And it comes on the heels of Esther's successful plan to intercede on behalf of her people to deliver them from the sentence of death. So the author has put Esther's plan, and he is going to contrast that with Haman's deceitful, evil plot to destroy. And he puts them side by side to make the contrast. So you can see the two starkly. And what the author wants us to know in this section of Scripture is that Haman's plot to kill his enemy Mordecai, fails. That's what the whole chapter is about. And he is going to give us, uh, he breaks it down in three ways. He's going to give us the basis of Haman's plot, why he does what he does, the characteristics of his evil plot. Then he's going to show why his plot failed. And then he's going to show the results of that failed plot. So 
Some of this we talked about last week, but it belongs together, so I want to keep it together. And the first item we want to look at is the basis of Haman's plot to destroy the man Mordecai. Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai was based on hiding his true feelings and motives from the public. You may remember this last week. Verses 9 and 10 of Esther chapter 5. So Haman went out that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Haman has just celebrated a good time with the the king and with Queen Esther. He's on cloud nine, and it's not long before he walks past the king's gate, and he sees his enemy, Mordecai, not giving him uh, the respect and the honor that he deserves. And he's furious with this man, Mordecai. He can't stand this man, Mordecai. But he restrains himself. Doesn't want to do anything because why? He doesn't want to make it seem as though this man, Mordecai, was getting underneath his skin. And so what does he do? He acts like nothing's wrong. He goes home and he shares this bit of information, his true feelings, with those who are nearest and dearest to him. Okay? And that's why he called his wife and his best friends. He's keeping his true feelings hidden from public view. And those who despise the gospel will do the same thing. They will hide their true feelings toward God's people and the world from being known publicly. Okay? Secondly, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai was based on his pride and hatred of Mordecai. Verses 11 through 13. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Here he is so focused on himself All he's talking about is all the things that he's been uh, given and all the things that he's accomplished. But all he kept thinking about was this man Mordecai and all of the things that he had in his life didn't matter as long as this Mordecai the Jew was alive. And so his plot was based on his hiding his true feelings and his based on his pride and hatred of his enemy. Thirdly, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai was based on his desire to publicly humiliate Mordecai. Verse 14, then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let gallows be made 50 cubits high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman so that he had the gallows made. The gallows was an object, a wooden object. This would have been anywhere from 75 to 80 feet high. And the friends listened to Mordecai as he describes his hatred toward this man, Mordecai. And they said, you know what? He doesn't want to just kill him. He wants to humiliate him. So build gallows so that you can lift up this man, Mordecai, so he can be seen by everybody and he can be ashamed and humiliated before all people. That's what he wants to do. 
Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai was based on hiding his true feelings and motives from the public. It was based on his pride and hatred of Mordecai, and it was based on his desire to publicly humiliate Mordecai. So now the question becomes, why does his plot fail? It does fail. Now the question is why, and the author is going to give three reasons why Haman's plot to kill his enemy Mordecai fails. Number one, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai failed because he did not consider the intent and desire of the king. Verses 1, 2, and 3. That night, the king could not sleep. That's not by accident. So one was commended to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bixen and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Remember last week, one of the... Uh, one of the uh, things that Esther did in her plan of saving her people was to be waiting and demonstrate patience when wait for God's time to work. Now we're going to see that bear fruit as she waits patiently for God to work. And now he's going to work. He gives this king who just happened not be able to sleep tonight. You think that was a coincidence? No way. He can't sleep. And he, is, he tells his servants to bring a book. And in this book of Chronicles would have been lists of, of events that have happened in his kingdom. And he comes across, just so happens to come across, a man named Mordecai, Mordecai who just happened to discover a plot in the past. And nothing was done about it. And these Persian kings were notorious for rewarding deeds of faithfulness for the kingdom. When he recognizes nothing was done, he wants to do something right away. But what you see is his, his intent, which is what? He wants to honor Mordecai. That's why he asked, has anything been done for him? No, nothing's been done for him. So right away, you see the intent of the king, which is to honor, Morde, uh, to honor Mordecai. That's what he wants to do. But that's not what Haman wants to do. He's going to show up and he's going to want something else done to Mordecai. The reason why his plan fails, Mordecai, is because he never took into account the king's desire and intent for Mordecai. He only assumed, and that led to a failure of his plot. Next, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai failed because he did not ultimately control events and their timing. Verses 4 and 5. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. The timing of that just happens to be coincidental. The author has just told us the intent that the king has for Mordecai. And at that moment, who comes walking in in the court? It's Haman to tell him what? To hang Mordecai. The timing is coincidental, 
quote unquote. It's the author's skillful way to show that Haman, who's been manipulating the events all this time, does not ultimately control the events in this world. He thought he could, but he can't. And this is demonstrating that there's someone else who is above Haman, who is sovereignly working behind the scenes to, man- to bring about the events as he so desires. This is God sovereignly at work is what's going on. And he's the one who controls events, not Haman. He's been manipulating King Ahasuerus the whole time. And now he can't control it. And you're seeing it right now. The reason why he failed is because he never, he couldn't control events. Oh, how we would love to control our lives, huh? We like to control the events in our own lives. We try, but we don't, it doesn't work, right? There's someone else who's in control. And when we see the things that are going on in our, our country today, it's very easy to get discouraged. It can be discouraging. But keep in mind that those who are in power, who are manipulating behind the scenes, do not ultimately control the events that are going on in our society. Keep that in mind. Lastly, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai failed because he had an insatiable desire to be publicly honored as king. Verses 6 through 9. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Well, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest or crown placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The reason why Haman fails is because he wanted to be publicly honored as the king. That was his true heart's desire. He was number two. He was the number two man in the Persian empire, but he wanted number one. And his own ambition, his own desire to be publicly acclaimed as king reveals it. And that's why he fails. He wanted to be publicly honored as king. Little did he know what was going to happen, right? So those are the three reasons why it failed. He didn't consider the intent and desire of the king. He did not ultimately control events and their timing. And he had an insatiable desire to be publicly honored as the king. Now let's look to the result of Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai. There's a results and consequences to such a plot. First, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai resulted in Haman having to publicly honor his enemy. Verses 10 and 11. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The very thing he wanted for himself, he now has to give to his most hated rival. 
Do you see what's going on here? Number two, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai marked the beginning of his downfall, verses 12 and 13. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered, that is with shame. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. This was the beginning of Haman's downfall. He doesn't fall yet, but it's the beginning of it. This is the very beginning of his downfall. And lastly, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai has brought about an ominous future for Haman. Verse 14. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Uh Uh-oh. What do you think Haman is thinking when he's going to go to go see the king now after the events that have just happened? He has no idea what's in store for him when we find out next week Esther has something in store. But she waited patiently for God to work so that her request will ultimately bear the fruit that she wants. If we want to be effective brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in this broken, divided world, we also must be patient. Let God's fruit, let God's works work slowly in the hearts of men and women as they filter and process the information that may be very difficult for them to hear, that they need to be saved through faith in Jesus. But she did so, and we must do the same. This is an ominous future for Haman. Now, Haman's plot to destroy Mordecai parallels Satan's plot to destroy Jesus. Listen to the basis of Satan's plot to destroy Jesus is the same. Satan's plot to destroy Jesus was based on hiding his true feelings and motives from the public. As we saw last week, we saw in Matthew 26, 3 and 4, then the leading priests and the older Jewish leaders had a meeting at the palace where the high priest lived. The high priest's name was Caiaphas. In the meeting, they tried to find a way to arrest and kill Jesus without anyone knowing what they were doing. Only those who are closest to the enemy will know the plot of the enemy. Everyone else is going to be in the dark. That's satanic. Number two, Satan's plot to destroy Jesus was based on his pride and hatred of Jesus. No. If there's one characteristic of Satan, it's pride. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look in Proverbs 6. 6. Thirdly, Satan's plot to destroy Jesus was based on his desire to publicly humiliate Jesus. And we saw that when he lifted up Jesus in Jerusalem so that everyone could look at him and spit at him, mock him, and humiliate him. Why does Satan's plot to destroy Jesus, his enemy, fail? Satan's plot to destroy Jesus failed because he did not consider the intent and desire of the king, the father. He never considered it. His own pride blinded him. His desire to want to be king blinded him to the intent and desire of the Father. Satan's plot to destroy Jesus failed because he did not ultimately control events and their timing. He does not. God does. 
and he failed because of it. And Satan's plot to destroy Jesus failed because he had an insatiable desire to be publicly honored as king. He wants that more than anything else. And when people do his will and are selfish and self-centered, full of pride, they are taking on the characteristic of their spiritual father. And it is an exact opposition to the person and character of our Savior. And our enemy wants to work through the minds of people so that they become more like him without even realizing that they are. The result of Satan's plot to destroy Jesus. Satan's failure to destroy Jesus resulted in Satan having to publicly and will have to publicly honor his enemy Jesus. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2, 5 and 11. Let this mind be in you, he says to the church at Philippi, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Ah, but Satan did. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even to the death of the cross, humiliation. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, including Satan, and of those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Satan's failure to destroy Jesus resulted in Satan having to publicly honor his enemy. And that's exactly what's going to happen, and he knows it. Satan's failure to destroy Jesus marked the beginning of his downfall. Satan's failure to destroy Jesus on the cross marked the beginning of his downfall. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. This is the context is that Jesus had sent out 70 disciples to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and they return and they give a report to Jesus. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you all authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Did you see that? The cross is the beginning of the downfall of our enemy. And when we are faithful to him and we minister to him, we have the power over the evil one, he begins to fall. It's true. In the spirit world, in the realm, it happens. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We already saw Satan's pride and now he's falling. If we demonstrate and live a life of pride and arrogance, we too have laid the groundwork by which we will fall as well. And Satan's failure to destroy Jesus has brought about an ominous future for Satan. He has brought about an ominous future for Satan. He knows it. I believe that Esther chapter 5 verse 9 all the way to the end of chapter 6 is a passage that the enemy does not want to anyone to know about because he knows his end is near. He knows it. People may not want to talk about Satan. He's a real being. It's in Scripture. Paul talks about him. He's a real being that is at work in our world. 
to destroy our testimony in a world that desperately needs to see him. A missionary returned home from Africa only to find a huge python inside. He ran back to his truck and got his 45 caliber pistol. He went to his home and carefully entered through the door. The man aimed with precision and fired a single shot into the snake's head. It was a mortal blow to the reptile, but it didn't die instantly. The missionary retreated from his house as the snake thrashed violently. The tremendous power of the snake's movement broke and damaged many items within the home. After the house finally became silent, he slowly entered the house to find the snake dead. The interior of the home was a disaster as the snake had unleashed all of its fury in, the, in those moments of death. But now there was peace. Satan received a fatal shot to his head when Christ conquered sin and death on the cross. Now as he writhes in pain of his defeat, he is unleashing a few remaining destructive blows. He still seems dangerous, but his fate is sealed. That is true. We are truly conquerors in Christ Jesus. The enemy are not the people who are doing his bidding. The enemy is the one who is inspiring in the mind of those who are doing his bidding. And if we're going to be successful in changing the world, it is not going to be through legislation. You change the world by changing the hearts of men and women, and the only one who can do that is God Almighty. And the way we can implement and, 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 and have God listen to us is through prayer as we have on the proper clothing before the king, as we saw last week. That's what this chapter is about. Which mind-boggling to me as I think about this is that the enemy of our souls is working through Haman to accomplish a, a death of his enemy, Mordecai. He failed. And you know what he does? He tries the exact same strategy with the almighty son of God. What does that tell you? Isn't that something? You've got to be mad to do that. Or you're just so full of yourself and your desire to be king is so great, you don't think of anything else. And when people are filled with pride, it blinds you to a lot of things, doesn't it? It can blind you to justice. Right? We see the, the lady with the scales with the blindfold around. Right? The enemy is powerful and is real, but he was defeated and his downfall certain. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. It is at the cross where Jesus subdued his arch enemy and thus rendered the decree against the people of God powerless through faith in Jesus. It is Jesus at the cross. There hung in shame, in pain, because he loved us. And through our shame, being publicly humiliated became his greatest glory. And that is the wisdom of Almighty God. What Satan had done for evil, God had done for good for his people. A few days before Jesus went to the cross, He had a meal with his disciples. 
to encourage them because he knew what was going to happen to him and how they were going to respond to seeing him on a cross and dying. But he wanted to encourage them. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper had ended, he then took the cup and said, This is the blood of the new covenant which he shed for you, so that your sins will be forgiven. As often as you drink this cup, think of me. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The blood that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters in Christ, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. We're going to take them together, recognizing that we are victorious in Christ Jesus because of what he has done. And there's truly nothing to fear in the midst of the chaos around us. What we're going to do is I'm going to call you up, just form a line. I have the bread in a cup. You're going to grab the cup and go back to your seat, and you're also going to grab the juice while you're up here as well. So grab the cup of the bread and a cup of juice, go back, sit down, and we will partake of the elements together. If you are, uh, we do have some gluten-free bread. If you, have, if you want some gluten-free, just let me know and I'll give it to you. Okay? So please come forward and receive the elements, the gifts that God has for you.